Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. And welcome back to She Dynasty. This week, I am going to be talking to Alicia Yoon, the founder and CEO of Peach and Lily. Peach and Lily is a 100% worry-free, cruelty-free skincare brand that uses only clinically proven ingredients. It's also revered for its iconic and award-winning glass skin refining serum. And that serum is a serum that launched with the glass skin viral trend that many of you have probably seen on TikTok. And there is one bottle that sells every two minutes. Hi, Alicia. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm so, so good. And I've really been looking forward to talking to you. You know, first of all, thank you. Thank you for sending over some product. I'm going to get into and get into it a little bit later, but it's always nice to you know, have some experience with what it is we're talking about. Obviously, we're talking a lot about you and your journey, but at the end of the day, you've built this incredible company and so impressive. And it was just really nice to kind of be able to touch it and feel it and use it and see like what all the hype is about, because I think it uh, definitely is worth it. So we'll we'll get into that. But, you know, before we do, as you know, She Dynasty is so much about, you know, hearing about your journey to get to this amazing place. So, um, you know, I want to just start from the beginning, the beginning of you, if that, if, if that makes sense. And I know that you are originally born in South Korea, came to the States when you were young, and then you moved back. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and maybe, you know, what kind of influence you had as a childhood when it came to like any, you know, as you were growing up, any exposure to business or anything like that, that maybe it maybe sparked you. Yeah, so I was born in Korea and came here to the U.S. when I was very young, when I was just a year old and grew up predominantly in New York and then moved back to Korea when I was 12 and stayed there until 18 and then moved back to New York and then have been in New York pretty much since then. And I would say growing up, you know, a couple things, I think moving back and forth, like, you know, going back to Korea, then coming back for college, like. That definitely, you know, created, so there's like two different cultures, languages that you're kind of negotiating between. And I think what really was wonderful about that is figuring out your own set of beliefs because you kind of realize like sometimes things are contradictory or sometimes things overlap and you kind of realize like, well, there's like lots of perspectives. So I think that was really helpful. And I think that ties into business in the sense that like I've always really felt it was so important to get like a lot of different perspectives and really understand that people can view things in so many different ways. Um, And when you have things that consumers are experiencing, it's so important to not just always, you know, feel like your perspective is the only perspective, right? Because that's really, you know, it may not resonate with like a multitude of people. And I think secondly, My grandfather, who, you know, he passed away during the pandemic when he was a hundred plus years old, and he was a serial entrepreneur and going back to Korea and kind of being around him and seeing him live his life. And it was this really interesting contrast because my uh, dad, he, he was a lawyer and seeing kind of his job and then seeing my grandfather's job, I saw these like two different blueprints on what you could do with your career. Right. And, yeah. And it was funny because I thought, oh, I'll go to law school and become a lawyer like my dad. I don't know why that was like in my mind at some point. So I took my LSATs and I was, you know, thinking of doing that. But always in the back of my mind, I also thought what my grandfather is doing looks so exciting. Like this seemed a little bit more manageable and maybe even safer because there's a little bit more of a path, right? You like go to law school and, you know, whereas here, like I really saw my grandfather chart his own path. And even though I saw him do that, it's not like starting your own business. You just take his path and just replicate it. So, but I do think just seeing him growing up, it 
definitely left this like indelible impression on me and made me think like, oh, this could be something I genuinely pursue myself as well. I love that. And obviously you had the, the benefit of living kind of two different cultures. I mean, Korean culture, American culture, like so different. You know, obviously your family was Korean, but you got to be kind of immersed in both of those. And I think to your point, bringing, you know, two very different perspectives to the table has probably, you know, made you even more successful, which I love. And, you know, one of the other things I'll note is, you know, I love to kind of find patterns on She Dynasty with some of the, the incredible women who I interview. And so many of the entrepreneurs say that there was somebody in their life that, you know, was an entrepreneur, that they kind of were watching them out of the corner of their eye and it felt exciting. And they talked about the safe route versus that kind of exciting thing. And it's not for everyone. You know, it's not for everyone. But I really love that, you know, your grandfather instilled that in you. That feels very special. Oh, I love that pattern. Interesting. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, for sure. So I also understand when you were a child, you were also a platform diver. And you had your sights set on the Olympics, which is kind of a big dream. So that obviously showed that you were a very ambitious child. So talk about that for a sec. Yeah, it's funny because looking back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? I don't think I had the talent to make it to the Olympics, but I was so convinced. I was like, I'm going to try whatever I can to get there. And I, you know, I was... I was practicing a lot, you know, and I had, it was a pretty intensive program and, you know, I, I just fell in love with it. I've always liked tumbling and gymnastics. And I remember when I was growing up, I would always ask my mom, like, I want to take gymnastics lessons. And she would always be like, I don't know, it seems a little dangerous. Like I'm a little nervous for you. And, you know, she was like, why don't we do like swimming? And I was like, okay. And so, and I do like swimming, but I really love like the tumbling and I would do all sorts of things like in the playground and you know, just like do handstands on the monkey bars. And, you know, and one day I was at like swim practice and I saw these divers and I was like, oh my gosh, look, mom, they do all the tumbling, but they land in water. It's really safe. Like I should take lessons. And she finally caved and she's like, okay, fine. And it was funny because I was nine, I think. And, you know, I was doing pretty well. And my coach was like, why don't we try this like advanced dive? And I ended up cracking my head on the board. That was like one of many injuries that can happen when you're diving. It turns out it's not the safest sport. And so that was, you know, but I got better and I just kept wanting to go. I was just in love with it. Like I was, it's just such an exhilarating sport to me. I loved it. I remember I would go to bed like your legs have to be like together and straight. Like, you know, it's part of the whole like entry of a dive. And I used to tie my legs together with a jump rope to oh just my. like train my legs. And my mom's like, oh my goodness. Like, honey, like, don't do that. I'm like, no, 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 nothing can stop me. I want to be the best. Like, I don't know. I just loved it. And then it's just, you know, it's, it was more than a hobby to me. I definitely took it pretty competitively, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think that also says a lot about, you know, who you are and who you become, the fact that you were so driven. You know, I find that a lot of, you know, women who have started companies, they set these really incredible goals. You just go for the top goal, you know, whatever is the best, the Olympics, <laughs> the best. I'm, you're not, you weren't looking for the state competition, the city competition. You wanted to go for the, you know, for the big one, which I love. So it says a lot about, you know, you and, and why you've been able to, you know, reach some success the way you have. So I think that is so awesome. I also understand that after you finished high school, you went to beauty school. So obviously you've had a passion for skincare and super interesting just because I have a little bit of experience in this just because I, I had an organization reach out to me talking about how beauty schools were dying, if you will, like not a lot of people were signing up. And there was this like huge problem in the world. This was a couple of years ago because there's this huge demand for people who want like skincare and you know, facials and all of these different services done, but there's not enough people to service them just because people kind of feel like it was an old dying, you know, uh, profession. So I wanted to, yeah. So yeah, we did a whole initiative around that, which was interesting, but I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear about that a little and what sparked you to want to go into that, the skincare piece. Yeah, I have severe eczema. So when I was growing up, I mean, it didn't help that I was in and out of a pool, but even if I weren't, like I just have, Really, you know, ever since I was a 
I was born, like I just had severe eczema. So it was always just like itchy, weeping rashes. And, you know, I really felt it's not that it really shook up my confidence, but there's this kind of like weight that was always on me when I just don't know how to take care of my body. Like I wasn't sure, like everything was guesswork when it came to skincare. And I wasn't sure if I would wake up with a rash, if I would wake up without it. Like it really bothered me that I just felt so out of control with my own body. And yeah, it was a very happenstance thing. Was in Korea, you know, went to this beauty school to learn more about skincare. I just got really immersed and really into it because of my own personal passion for trying to figure it out for myself. When I went to college after, like, this was just like when I was in high school, like after school, when I was in college, you know, back then there was no internet. So I was going into the stacks to kind of just try to read more about clinical studies, anything I could find. So what really ended up happening for me was it wasn't this like immediate thing where I was like, oh my goodness, now I solved my eczema. But it was more that I started to see like, wow, skincare formulas, it's not like just fluff. There's an actual science behind skin. There's a histology to how your skin works. There's a biological process that happens. Your skin is an organ that's connected to everything else. And it was sort of like putting a method to figuring out my body by understanding how things work together. So it took a few years, actually, more studies, like pattern analysis, like be also writing like really scrupulous notes about all the things I was doing with my own body, with my skin, like what would trigger what. But after a few years, I suddenly got to this place where I was like, oh, if I do X, Y, Z, then in a few days, I probably will see a flare up. Or if I do it like this, I'm probably going to be able to manage it. And when that happened, I really felt like I like entered the matrix, like my whole life, you know, up until that point, I was so confused. I was like, I don't know, like I go to every doctor and like, it's a bunch of steroids. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And then all of a sudden I was like, I understand what's going on now. I understand, like, for example, like, yeah, if I eat that or don't sleep enough and I skip my skincare that day, like I will get a flare, but at least I know, you know, and it's just like a choice I'm making versus like, I have no idea what's going on. And that just like sparked this really deep passion to share that kind of, I guess, joy for lack of a better word with other people. Cause when I, I just had the soft spot when people were struggling with their, I would see people struggling with their skin, whatever the case is, breakouts, et cetera. I'm like, I can help you with that. And so, yeah, from then on, skincare just became this personal passion hobby, like doing facials nights and weekends. Yeah. So that's kind of how like the passion part of, you know, but before it was all about like skincare, but it was a chore because I was just trying to figure out how to get the rashes under control. And then it just became this like really exciting passion because I felt really empowered by it. Love that. And then I understand after that, you made a huge shift, which is another pattern, which is super interesting because um, I love the patterns um, that you decided to go from there to to Columbia and you worked in finance and consulting, which is a total shift from where you were. But here you are again, bringing like you're starting to put the building blocks together for your future company, right? Which I love. Already we have like the ambition, the drive from when you're a kid. And then you have like the skincare spark and now you're doing kind of the business thing. And then eventually all these things are going to come together, which I love. And so much of what I learned from speaking to so many founders is, first of all, a lot of times the companies are born from a personal reason or something they're trying to solve for themselves. But I think what you're saying is that you learned that you really could control the outcome by pushing and pulling different levers. And you wanted to share that knowledge with everyone. So you so you made the switch and ended up going to Columbia and then eventually to Harvard Business School, um, obviously two incredible places. So talk about um, that experience. Yeah, so when I went to college, it was funny because this was like the heyday of the financial industry. And I remember, you know, thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm in New York City. And the perk of going to school in the city is that you know, the school talks a lot about like you have your classes, but New York City is your backyard. So you can kind of organize your classes where you can do internships and, you know, kickstart like exploring your career. So I was like, 
ooh, like what would I do with my career? And I heard these upperclassmen talking like about their eye baking jobs and like trying to interview for them. And I had never heard about eye baking before. I literally thought it was like your eyes. And I was like, what? That sounds scary. Like what are, what are, what is everyone talking about? And I realized, okay, it's investment banking. What is that? And I don't know. It was just something that I felt like when I heard people say it lays such a great groundwork for, you know, understanding the corporate world and understanding businesses, at least from a financial perspective, and all businesses have like a financial perspective to consider. I thought like, that's something that like sounds really foundational and potentially important. And, you know, it's also sounds like kind of challenging to get, but like, why can't I go for that too? So starting freshman year, I, you know, look for internships in finance, like the investment banking, like key internship happens between your junior and uh, senior year. And then that turns into like a full-time offer or not like for after college. But to even try to get that junior year internship, I was like, I have to start like interning now. So I started just like doing different things in the financial industry. And I thought, you know, but again, like in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to law school, but I still want to like explore this. So my internships were always in finance, whereas my major was like more liberal arts. So it was philosophy and East Asian studies. And so when I graduated, you know, I went to Goldman Sachs for a two-year like analyst program. And when I was there, I kept thinking like, I'll do this for two years because even if I go to law school, it's nice to have this background. And so did that for two years, but then didn't quite feel like I was ready to go to law school. Turns out, like, I think I really just didn't want to go to law school. But, you know, I was like, okay, like now, you know, everyone is doing like their, you know, interviews for a lot of the folks coming out of the program in my group would go into like private equity jobs or work at hedge funds. And so I was interviewing with private equity companies and I remember walking out of this one interview went pretty well, but I remember walking out and seeing like the people who would be like the position I would be if I got the job. And I just remember feeling dread. I was like, I really don't like my job. And I would just keep doing more of the same. And I called my dad and I was like, I I just like don't want to do this. And he's like, oh my goodness, you're like 20, how old? You know, he was like, you're so young you don't have to, you don't have to like go all in into this career path. And so, you know, that's when I realized management consulting would be really interesting because you get to have a bird's eye view into so many different industries and take on different projects and get to know different functional areas and not just be, you know, doing financial analysis. Um, So switch into that, which wasn't easy to get that job at the time, because everybody, a lot of the management consultants, the firms were looking for people straight out of college or straight out of business school. And they were like, would you be okay? Like starting as though you were like straight out of college, even though you have two years of working experience. I was like, yes, I would be. They're like, you're a little off cycle. Like, I don't know about, you know, maybe come back after graduate school. And I was like, no, I want to like work here now. So I ended up just like networking a lot, meeting friends who were like, and then finally there was one rule where they were looking for people who actually had prior finance experience. So was doing consulting for a couple of years and then my LSAT score was expiring. So I told my boss, I think I have to apply to law school. Like my LSAT score is expiring. I'll just like, you know, I had four years of work experience. I guess this is, this is it now. And he was like, Alicia, like, I don't know why, like, are are you interested in law? And I was like, "I, I don't know. I just always thought I would become a lawyer. And he was like, I think you actually should go to business school. And I had like never thought about business school or even like heard that much. I don't know why. It's just not something that came up a lot. And it goes to show like you were saying, like kind of the role models you have in your life, the exposure you have, like, you know. Yeah. One person can say one thing to you, change your whole direction. Exactly. Same. I wasn't until I was, I don't know, I was 24 years old when someone's like, have you ever thought of a career in advertising? I'm like, what does that mean? And then literally now I, you know, I run an advertising agent, like, like one, one statement, you know, one person suggests something and wow. you're, all of a sudden you become curious and your whole world changes. And I think it's, that's why it's just so important, you know, for people listening who are trying to figure out their path, like just talk to as many people as possible, get perspectives, be curious, you know, just cause you never know what's going to spark, you know, and just like hearing your story, I think so many people 
can identify with this where they'll just get a suggestion and it just like skyrockets them in a new direction. They never like the day before wasn't even an option. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm grateful for my boss back then because he he definitely was like he was actually very encouraging. He said, I'm going to take my boss hat off and I'm going to put my friend hat on. And if you use, because he was like, apps are actually kind of do. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have to take like another standardized test for that application and like write it. And he was like, I'll tell you what, you, you know, take the next couple of weeks off to just write your applications, take your tests, like get everything done. He's like, I'll just give you those days. And I was like, what? He was like super supportive. And he had actually gone to Harvard Business School as well. And he's like, I really love business school. I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, that's kind of like what happened. And then, you know, I ended up like really just looking into it and being like, oh my goodness, like this seems really interesting. And, you know, so much more so than law school, you know, when I had looked into that. So yeah, that's that's how I ended up going to business school. Awesome. And then when you graduated from Harvard, what was the first thing you did after that? Yeah. So when I was at HBS at that time, it was 2008 to 2010. So the financial crisis had just happened. And so the school was pretty focused on entrepreneurial conversations. Like there were a lot of resources to kind of think about, like if you started your own company. And I actually started a company when I was in business school and it was bringing Korean fashion to the U.S. and it wasn't scalable. Like it wasn't really working because there were issues with sizing. There were issues with like content labeling. It was like this whole thing. And, but I had a lot of fun, you know, executing it. So I thought like, I really do want to do something entrepreneurial, but I also really love management consulting. So after business school, I ended up going to the Boston Consulting Group for a couple years, really enjoyed it. But every week, I would meet up with a good friend and we would explore startup ideas together. And we would just kind of kick ideas back and forth, research, like think about business models. And it kind of just kept the juices going on like, okay, like not losing sight of that dream of doing something entrepreneurial. And yeah, two years in, that's when I kind of pieced it together. And I was like, I'm so passionate about skincare. And every, you know, my parents are still in Korea. Every time I would come back and have all these Korean skincare products, and people were like, oh my God, these products are amazing. And that's when I realized like, that's what I should do. You know, I should do something in skincare. Love it. And plus, I mean, obviously, you know, Korean skincare is, there's obviously, it's a force. It's a thing. It's like, you know, just, it's, I, I you know, I have a lot of Korean friends and they're just like so into their skincare and their regime and, you know, in a way that I think a lot of American women can learn about, I, you know, I sometimes I'll go to Korean spas and I'm always like fascinated by like how meticulous the women are about like scrubbing themselves and like taking, making sure that their skin is like so clean and polished and all the dead skin cells are off. I'm like, this is cool, you know, <laughs> and definitely like it's, you know, it's a little, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, wow, what, what's going on here, right? But then like you kind of get into it and it's, you know, it's very deep and I, obviously a big part of the culture there, skincare. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So then tell us about the inception of Peach and, Liz- and Lily. What, where did that come from? Did you just wake up one day and decide you were starting this company? How'd you get the name? Yeah, I mean, when I when I put two and two together to say like, let's take like, this dream to do something entrepreneurial and my skincare passion and, you know, this kind of bicultural background. Honestly, I could not stop thinking about it, even though I was, you know, exploring different startup ideas, like all the other ones I explored felt kind of like very cerebral. It was like, let's research this industry, you know, whereas as soon as I thought about this, I was like, oh my gosh, I must do it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was like losing sleep over it. And so after just a couple of weeks of like being like light bulb mode, like this is it, this is it, this is it. I went to HR and I was like, I'll finish up the project that I'm staffed on, but I just like need to pursue this. And BCG is like a great company and they made it very easy. They were like, you know, we really enjoyed having you here, like open door policy back. You know, we wish you the best of luck, but just know that, you know, so I was like, 
Okay, I'm going to go for it. After that project was over in about like a month or so, something like that, I just, that was it. Like I left my job and I was like, and it was so funny because I didn't have like a business plan. I didn't have like the savings I wanted. I just like kind of, it was like very passion led. And I was like, okay, here I am. I have to figure this out. So I just kind of dove right in. And then in terms of the name, I wanted it to be something easy to spell, available online, and not be so on the nose like koreanbeauty.com. And peaches and lilies are like big motifs and like Korean artwork. And like, you know, so I was like, okay, that that's me. It actually took a while to get to the name. But like, as soon as I, you know, it, it was like one of those things where I just like was like, that's, that's the one. So yeah, so that's how it all came to be. What year was that? 2012. Okay, awesome. And okay, so you have this idea for the skincare brand. So what's what's the first step? Do you get a chemist? Do you start mixing stuff at home? What's what's the first thing you do when you decide on starting a skincare brand? So then fast forward, you know, a few years. So Peach and Lily, the company started in 2012. And we really pioneered this like Korean beauty movement in the U.S. by bringing Korean beauty for the first time to many retailers. But then we launched our own brand, the Peach and Lily brand, five years ago. So we're actually celebrating our five-year anniversary this year. And, you know, a few years prior to launching was when, you know, we started preparing for it. And the first step really was, well, the first step was really seeing the insight, right? Because... It, I was a customer number one. I have severe eczema, as I mentioned. And so I can use very few products out there because a lot of it will be very irritating for my skin. So the products that are gentle and soothing for sensitive skin. Oftentimes the benefits are it's calming and it's hydrating. But at that time I was in my thirties and I was like, I want to be prepared. Like I need to start using like the hard hitting active ingredients, like the retinoid, the glycolic acid, et cetera. But Without fail, every time I would use those ingredients, it would be too much for my sensitive skin. So I was like, I don't want to be relegated to just soothing and hydration. Like I need the hard hitting things. And now that I am in my 40s, I'm so glad we have those because it really does make a difference. And so the first thing was, you know, really looking for a lab that would take us on because we're really innovating formulas that hadn't been done before. Like I'm walking into the labs and saying, I want a 10% glycolic acid formula that even those with eczema, rosacea, you name it, can use without worry. And they're like, that's just like not a thing. That's not how that ingredient works. And I was like, no, we, we need to figure that out together. And so I was rejected by every single lab I approached and I was only approaching like the top tier ones that are all CGMP compliant, et cetera. And they were like, your laundry list of what we need to accomplish is too much, right? Like, first of all, this powerful and gentle proposition is like innovation beyond innovation. Secondly, you want it to be so clean. Then you also want it to be sustainable. Then you also want it to be sensorially delightful. And you want the price point to offer like steep value. That's like a lot on your list. And there was one lab I really wanted to work with. And, you know, I was like, okay, let's not take no for an answer. Let's like find a way to convince them. So usually you'll bring like a product that you saw in the marketplace and you'll say like, here's a comp, make it me something like this with a few tweaks. But because these formulas hadn't been done before, I didn't have comps, but I said, I don't have comps, but what I do have is you know, reams and reams of like binders full of research, right? Like pattern analysis I had done, you know, wow. self, like, you know, just like I have all this information and I have some hypotheses and I have also an interesting proposition. I said, you know, a lot of companies will say, here's our product development timeline. So we need like three months for this three. And I was like, I know innovation doesn't work that way. Why don't we have no timeline? I only want to launch products that we feel like are meeting that standard and let's do things differently. We can take 10 years if we need to. And the chief R&D officer of this lab was like, give me a week to think about things. It was like, I was so nervous all week. He called me back and we met up and I was like, literally almost in tears because he was like, as a historic first, we'll take this project on because it's super interesting. And, and 
you know, they work with like huge global beauty brands. And he said, as a historic first, you know, usually it's like a couple chemists are assigned to you. All 40 chemists in our lab will personally create the products with you. Oh, wow. So they were like, this is something that's going to be really interesting for us to kind of, you know, really lean into this level of innovation. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. That that was like the big first step, which is like a big first hurdle, I guess. Like without that partnership, like we wouldn't have the formulas we have. And, you know, we didn't want to launch it any other way. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love, you know, your, the fact that you started the business by first bringing other products to play and then, you know, slowly transitioning to your own. But it sounds like the power came into, you know, from the data that you had, you know, to really create something based on not just something you felt in your heart, which is part of it, but also kind of the science behind it as well, like understanding it in a way that is really deep. So I think that obviously made a huge difference. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people feel like, oh, it's so glamorous to own a company and, you know, look at they're selling so much product, but it's hard, as you know. Um, Many sleepless nights, probably a lot of stress. Tell us about, you know, something that you, you know, had to overcome maybe early on in when you started the company that you could talk us through that you learned something great from. Yeah, I would say that in the early days, you know, we didn't take on any outside institutional funding. Like we were really bootstrapped. And it's interesting because I love the book by the Nike founder. I think it's called Shoe Dog where, yeah. And, you know, of course we're like much, much, much smaller than Nike. But I think I loved reading about those early days where you see that your business is growing rapidly, but that doesn't mean your cash flow is like, you know, completely solid, right? Because you're like reinvesting everything back in. And so in the early days, like it was just this interesting tension of like, well, the business is growing rapidly. Like customers are really like liking these products. There's loyalty there. Things are working. And yet keeping the lights on was like this existential crisis every day. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, like checking like every bank account. Like it was really rough. And then you look at like, how do you grow your business with these super constrained resources. And, you know, there's just so much you have to do. Like you have to like update your website. You have to like do marketing. You have to do X, Y, Z. And like, I had like an investment banking and management consulting background. Like I could make a really great PowerPoint presentation and like be good on Excel, but I'm like, I don't know a thing about like how websites work and so forth. And so, you know, like I was like, okay, well, we can hire people. Then I started looking into that. I was like, nope, we can't afford that. We can hire like freelancers for every need. Nope, we can't even afford that. Like even if it's not full-time in-house. And so it was a combination of like rolling up my sleeves and being like, I, I need to figure this out. Like I am, I, I, have, I have the bandwidth, I can do this, but I just don't know how to do it, right? So I have to learn. And I was just like learning new languages, like wearing multiple hats. Like going to business school does not teach you these things, you know? Doesn't. I was like, I don't know how to run a Facebook ad. Like, okay, I have to figure this out. I don't know how like to tweak code. Like I have to figure that out because I can't afford somebody who knows how. And so it was a lot of like, also like, you know, I I was very like, I feel like it's okay to ask for a lot of help, right? Like there are people who are willing to help you. You know, it just takes like reaching out to be, and you know, like being very mindful of how you're asking for the help, right? Just kind of like maybe one, specific thing like to an expert who you're like I just need this one question answered you know making it like really easy for them to like help you because so many people actually want to offer help but like it's just like how you ask for it I think and then also then like Google is an amazing resource like there's so many great tutorials that you can just like look online for and then there are these really interesting platforms where they really service smaller smaller companies where they like you know, do like packages where they might like just take on like one part of things. So it was just cobbling together a lot of different things and figuring out like, okay, like whatever we needed to do, let's say it costs like a hundred coins and we only had one, but you figure out how to like fill it in with the other 99 coins you're missing. And I think that taught me a really important lesson early on, like figuring out how to build your startup like all the needs change every year. Like there's no, like 
how your business is in year three, year six, like it's different. And these are things that are always going to be kind of like new, but just getting in that confidence of like, I can learn new things and I can figure things out, whether it's, I can learn how to manage this kind of team. Like, you know, you kind of just say like, I'm going to just learn and figure it out. And, you know, that was like an important lesson for me that, you know, I, I could, you know, do that. And then I think it also instilled this like muscle memory in our company of like, just being scrappy and resourceful. And it's not just like scrappy, it's more about becoming smarter with information every month, right? Because you want to become more and more efficient and effective and being pretty insights driven. So yeah, that was, that was a, it wasn't just one moment, but it was kind of like this ever presence hurdle, like the whole first few years, you know? No joke, running a company or being an entrepreneur or a startup, it's, 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 it's pretty gnarly. People don't, it's not as glamorous as, I mean, obviously once you get to a place where you start to build infrastructure and have people, and I'm sure now you have people doing your marketing, I mean, you're probably still very involved, but you know, I think people don't always realize the blood, sweat and tears that go into getting there. So, but it's, it's fun. It's for some people, it's really exhilarating and it sounds like you've loved the process too. I love it. The glamour part, I'm I'm still like, where is it? The, the glamour part, you know, it's year 11. It's, I would say it's like not glamorous at all, but it's fun. I love it. Well, it's glamorous in the sense that, you know, I'm sitting here in front of your beautiful products, which I adore. <laughs> Thank and you. I'm like, you know, you have something to be so proud of. I mean, it's just, you know, you've built something that people love and want and reorder. Like that's like something, you know, that's clear. I don't know. To me, that's success, you know, oh, like that's yeah, somebody, that's very believes, rewarding. somebody who believes in like your vision and your dream. And it's not like, oh, they just buy it once and they don't buy it again. I mean, you know, I know you sent me a bunch of products, but I'm definitely like, oh, finally a, a brand that I can like, anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. But <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that you had, another snag that you had to overcome is I know that there was some some issues with a global supply chain crisis. So many, so many businesses went through this. How'd you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I give so much credit to my incredible team, um, but we kind of just looked at the situation with like lead times exploding. And we were like, we need like backup plans, two backup plans to backup plans, right? It's no longer like you have planned like this one contingency scenario, you need like, all these other ones. And so we worked really closely with our partners. So with our suppliers, we they also have suppliers and we just asked everyone to kind of like hold some like raw materials for us, things that won't expire, like just to work with us so that at least like the lead time for certain things just becomes a lot smaller because you already have things on hand versus purchasing everything up front and all of that cash flow being tied up in just your inventory. So kind of spreading that through the supply chain. And, you know, that was only possible because, well, number one, like our team was like very analytical and incisive about asking who for what and just kind of that partnership there. But also number two, I think, you know, we have these longstanding great relationships with our partners. We're very careful in selecting our partners and, you know, we're very much into having like win-win relationships. And I think, yeah, when you cultivate those relationships, you know, those partners can be really clutch in helping you figure out like solutions together, even in very unconventional ways. And so, you know, and and just like not being afraid to ask for it, right? Like even if this is a standard way of doing things, like you can always go off script and you can always be like, can we just like do things this way with you? Because that would make it, you know, you know, great for us. And actually for you guys too, I, you know, maybe there are these benefits, right? So kind of finding creative ways where both parties are winning and, you know, figuring out creative solutions together and not being like boxed in. That was one thing that really helped us a lot. And we were able to really minimize the effects of, you know, the supply chain crunch that everybody was dealing with. Got it. That makes Makes a lot of sense. Listen, I think, again, being in business, you have to, you know, no two days are ever the same. Sometimes you have to deal with crises and things that you never expect. But that just says a lot about your resilience and, you know, how you've gotten to where you are today. Okay, let's talk about the skincare industry just because it's so confusing. It's so confusing. <laughs> there are so many options and everybody has different, you know, skincare issues. and 
you know, for the average person, it's just navigating. And it's interesting because I, you know, I have two teenage daughters and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you sent me these products and my daughter saw them on my counter and she's like, oh, what's this? And she started using it. Now she's obsessed and now she's bought it as well. So work from that, but I love that it transcends generations. You know, I think that's fantastic. Like, obviously I have more mature skin. She has younger skin, but she's like loving, you know, some of the products. And I guess, you know, I just, you know, what I love is there's like a simplicity about your products that I just kind of understand them and they work really well together. And, you know, I, you know, definitely could, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of brands that it's like so much about the hype and the marketing and the influencer that's behind it. And I don't know, I felt like there was a lot more substance behind I could feel like the science behind what you're doing. Does that make sense? Like I could feel that it just, there was something deeper than this than just a lot of hype, you know? Yeah. Uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, how people are supposed to navigate all this and, you know, just, you know, your, your take on the industry overall, just because I, I, how many skincare brands, you know, start every day and how do you even deal with that? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for noticing that and pointing that out because that is something we take really seriously and our innovation process is really different. So for example, I actually have it right here, the Retinol for All Renewing Serum. This is something that really embodies like how we approach things. So retinoids, I'm sure you've heard of like retinoids because it's like one of the most commonly like well-known, but most kind of misunderstood ingredients or like kind of people find it very confusing. So retinoids, it's like a family of vitamin A derivative um, ingredients and there's retinol with an O. And essentially what happens is your skin cell receptors have retinoic acid receptors. So retinol with an O has to become retinal with an A, also known as retinaldehyde, which then turns into retinoic acid. So your skin only processes retinoic acid, which is also like what you would get at the doctor's office. And so what ends up happening is retinoic acid, when your skin cells receive it, all these amazing things happen to your skin, like brightening, firming, all of that. But for everybody, it's like a biologic process where what it's a biochemical process where once the retinoic acid is received by your skin, IL-4 receptors also spread up. What they do is they trigger inflammation and irritation. Which is why when people use retinol, they're like, oh, I love it, but it, I feel like it's too irritating for my skin. Right, right, and right. it's because like, that's just like how our bodies work. So ultimately, you know, I was like, I want to create a retinoid product that is safe for even those with sensitive skin. But because the IL-4 receptors just sprout up, like, how do you prevent that? Right. Because that's just almost like the other side of the coin. And so what we ended up doing is bringing in like cross-functional types of scientists. We leaned on really novel research and it was like this breakthrough research that occurred where when you combine retinoids with this ingredient called ectoin, the IL-4 receptors, it, almost 83% of them are tamped down. So you're stopping irritation before it actually even starts. And it was like the combination of this ingredient along with other ingredients that's so novel that this formula is actually patent pending. And we actually were, we were like, let's put rubber meets the road. Let's test this. So we did instrumentation testing to see objectively like how skin reacts to it. And the results are pretty phenomenal. Like you're seeing all the improvements and targeting of like lines, wrinkles, brightness, texture, all of that, but 0% irritation no increase like transepidermal water loss is how you really measure like skin barrier disruption. And actually over time, your skin barrier is getting stronger. So it's, you know, that kind of science to really hold true to our promise of having powerful results and gentle for skin, you know, we take so seriously and it's like so much easier said than done when you're working with these kinds of potent ingredients. And so thank you for pointing out the science because you know, we really go through hoops and loops to try to keep to that, like it must, must work and deliver incredible results, but it like really, you know, just everybody needs to be able to use it. And so, yeah. And I think that's what I'm talking about. Like you just going, like explaining that at that level and that detail and kind of nerding out on what happens behind the scenes. Like I feel that in your products, you know, where some products, it just feels like some packaging and some hype and, oh, it, you know, it smells good. But I don't know. I just 
this felt different from that perspective. It just, whatever you're doing, like the soul of why you're doing this, you just kind of feel it. So, you oh, know, that means the world. Seriously. I mean, honest, honestly, I mean, I've, I've already, you know, recommended it to so many of my friends just because I was like, yeah, I think this is a real deal, you know, because I've been, um, I just, I feel like I keep switching from this to that. And I don't know, I just have felt a difference. And, you know, I actually have Sam, who is a producer of the show on and she also got some products and you know sam please please talk about your experience because i love the way you described it yeah i was telling valerie earlier in the week that it was just like life changing like i've gotten so many compliments on my skin within like the last two months than i have i think in my entire life not that anyone can like see it but like i purposefully didn't wear makeup to this recording because i like it just it's it's like glass it's it's amazing so luminous yeah it's crazy because i like i you just see a difference like within weeks of using it and just like like the combination of the products and like you said it's like really simple to use it was just it it was it was absolutely life-changing yeah i'm so happy to hear that what had your your team also by the way your team because i had some questions and i emailed your team they got back to me right away like so knowledgeable also which was amazing but go ahead you were gonna ask amazing no i'm so curious um to know what your favorite product was sam it's it has to be like the glass skin refining serum is definitely at the top i really like the toner I forget the name of it, but it's it's like the I think it's like the, the good one? toner. Yeah, the good acids yeah. yeah, it like like once I started increasing the usage from just once a week to like twice, it it just like it made my skin feel ultra mo- moisturized by the time that I got to like the 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 matcha moisturizer. Wow, yeah, they like laid yeah. a really really good foundation, and like it made my skin feel like it was uh, actually like absorbing everything. Amazing. Oh, so happy to hear that. And truly your skin, like I see it through the screen. It's <laughs> just very radiant. Yeah. <laughs> I no longer have to use no vandalizing it at the office for sure. <laughs> Are you going foundation free now? I feel like so many people tell us that. Yeah, it's actually I've made like a really significant move toward that because now I notice when I wear like foundation, it kind of like it, it's it just like it doesn't seem like my skin is breathing. So I'll just use like powder these days or like throw a bit of concealer on these days. And it's really nice. It's it's really freeing to not have to use foundation. Yay. Oh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome to hear. I wanted you to hear that just because she was like over the moon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, great line. Awesome. Well, I think, um, Alicia, you've answered all of kind of my core questions. You know, we've learned a little bit about your journey, about your product, your passion, obviously the science behind it, which makes it so amazing. What I have left is just some rapid fire questions. Just first thing that comes to your mind and then we'll wrap it up. Sounds good. All right. So first question, what professionally keeps you up at night? Definitely if there's like any inventory issues, if there's any, like our, we get everything from Korea. So it's not like we can just like drive over next door. And, you know, like we just like, our customers are always number one, right? So if we're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be out of stock. Like that just, I just like, I don't know, that really bothers me because I just want to make sure it's like accessible. And yeah, when they're like, it's just stuck at the port. I'm like, what? You know? You want a lot of I love that. Yeah. What is your greatest strength? I would say I'm very determined and it's, I like rarely give up on things. What is your greatest weakness? I am very, 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 very into all the details. And I know that sounds like, oh, that's actually like a strength. It's not like, especially with your team. I think it's like so important to kind of let go of some things so that people can run faster and probably much better actually because they're like the specialists and so I'm really working on being like okay these are details that I need to continue paying attention to and these are ones that like I'm just like need to like shift to be like okay like yeah exactly I love that and if you could have one skill set that you don't have right now that you think would make you you know better at your job what would it be You know, I am like very curious about all things AI right now. And I like, 
it's kind of confusing, you know, on like how to like really take it, like use it in like really efficient ways. And I would, I would love to be like a lot more like advanced in like figuring all that out right now. Good one. I think you're the first person to say that. And I feel like we're going to hear a lot more of that coming up on other episodes. The good news is I don't think AI can take over skincare, at least not for the foreseeable <laughs> future. So I think you're good there. I'm happy to hear that. Awesome. Any kind of big plans for what's next for the company? Anything launching or anything exciting coming up? Yeah, well, we have, you know, like very exciting launches happening, one at the end of the year. And it's I think it's going to be one of my most personal launches. So I'm excited for that. And, you know, really, it's just a lot more of education. So I feel like right now, like you mentioned, like the skincare industry can be so confusing. And especially with like more information, there's like more things that are contradicting. And it's like hard to navigate all of that. And we're getting so many more inquiries about like, well, I saw online, it said this and this, like, which is right. And, you know, oftentimes, like, I think that happens when everything is boiled down to like super small sound bites or taken out of context. And it's very confusing or you know, skincare has to be pretty personalized. And we are leaning a lot into education in very vetted ways that we've always been doing, but, you know, trying to meet customers where they're at. So if our community wants to see the bite-sized things on TikTok, we'll offer that. But if they also want to read like a college thesis, like, you know, we have like rigorous sources cited and like things like that on our website. But even the sound bites are, you know, really expertly vetted sound bites. And so, you know, I think that's going to become more and more important. Like it's always been important for us, but I think we're just seeing like more and more people be more and more confused. So we're just leaning more into that. Understood. And then lastly, what does success mean to you? For me, like on a, for the business, you know, our values are really important. Like, I think it's really about the how and the journey and getting there without compromising on your brand values. That's like so, so important, right? Otherwise, like, what's the point, right? Um, and then on a personal level, you know, I think it's really investing in, you know, relationships with my friends and family, like loved ones. And I also think like, I love watching things like the Olympics because you see no matter where people place, you see that every single person there, like that put that like grit into their sport. And I think that's such a beautiful part of like the human spirit. So for me, like whatever I do, I want to give it my all. Like I want to look back and say like, that's how I lived. Like, I don't know. That's something that I would look back and be like, you know, that was, that was success, whatever the outcome was. Well, thank you, Alicia. It was so great having you today. And I can't wait for everyone to hear all about Peach and Lily. Oh, thank you for the kind words. And thank you so much for having me. Like this is, it's always amazing to talk to you. 